0: Welcome to Redefining Outbound, a podcast series for sales leaders. I'm one of your hosts, Frida Odesson, VP of U.S. Sales at Cognizant. I'll be interviewing a range of forward-thinking sales leaders on how and why B2B buying behavior has changed, and we'll be unpacking why these trends are important for Outbound. I hope you enjoy the episode. All right. Hello, Amanda. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for
1: having me. It's great
0: to be here. Yeah. Awesome. Um, to kick things off today, what, uh, could you please introduce yourself? Ah, oh, great. <laughs> we will cut that out. <laughs> yeah. um, to kick things off, could you please introduce yourself to the listeners?
1: Absolutely. So my name is Amanda
0: Wild. I
1: am currently the global director of business development at a company called Alita. Um, been here for five short months, but I have been in tech sales uh, since 2018. Started as um, an individual contributor role and a commercial AE role, and kind of bounced around a little bit in different types of sales roles, um, and then was blessed to have an amazing leader that saw. Um, some great leadership qualities in me. So I ended up uh, leaving the AE role and moving into BDR leadership. And that is where I found like my passion and my calling outbound specifically. Um, so yeah, that's how I ended up as a director of global business development with absolutely no details in between.
0: <laughs> all right. And you've never looked back.
1: Not at all. Only forward.
0: <laughs> so for some context, like what does
1: leader do? um alita is a leading cx um platform so what we can do is when you think of like traditional surveys that you a brand would use to connect with maybe their customers or with their audience to inform their the product use um, the user experience so what we do is we actually usually you would have a survey and it would be just to a group of people for a gift card so we actually have changed the game in that and create a community aspect where companies can curate their own customers, segment that, and really get true feedback from an audience to inform their products. Um, And that could be anywhere from like a tech solution, an app, that could be an actual experience. One of our customers is Lululemon, close to my heart. Um, So all of like the in-cart and shopping experience. So, and the difference with us is we can actually go back to that same person and check them. It creates like a loyalty. You're connected to the brand. Um, It's an amazing, amazing space. And we work with some really exciting brands. So it's something I feel that I connect to, which is always great when you're in a company, when you can kind of to their solution
0: yeah cool that's very nice um all right so one question that we always start off with uh on this podcast uh is what does redefining outbound mean to you So i'm curious
1: oh to me um i love this question because redefining outbound to me means really teaching bdr's true outbound skills and also making sure they understand you're never done learning. So it's always evolving. And that's the exciting part about Outbound. Even five years ago, even a year ago, some of the tactics that you would use don't work now. So I think you're constantly redefining and that's where the opportunity in tech is and in Outbound specifically. I also think redefining Outbound is really teaching uh, BDRs to bring their authentic self, their creativity, their humanity, and showing them the wins along the way to also, you know, protect people's mental health in a sales role, which I think wasn't even really thought of when I first started only five short years ago. So it's something I think I bring as well. So outbound isn't just pound the phones day after day. There's, an, there's a bit of an art to it. And each individual can do it in their own authentic way.
0: Yeah, I love that. Um, I think not enough people talk about that for sure. Yeah. Um, another thing that I know you've talked about a little bit is omnichannel channel outreach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious to learn from you, like, what it is and how you use that on your team.
1: Yeah, um, I think back even to when I started um, in 2018, it was really just, you know, the sales loss and the outreaches of the world kind of just got started out. Everyone all of a sudden got the capability to send a thousand emails a minute. Um, and I think that kind of broke Um, you know, some of the email there as well, is that now everyone could just send so much stuff. So the inbox became even busier. A lot of people were like talking all about them, but not about the prospect. So that would, you know, that would hurt your domain reputation. There's been a lot of that as well. So just traditionally just picking up the phone after the pandemic, no one's sitting in the office anymore. There's a lot of anti-spam laws. So like the traditional things that worked only five short years ago are a little different now. So, I think this is an opportunity again to lean into social selling. Make sure your meeting prospects are not all in the inbox, they're not all in um, going to be answering the phone. So, making sure that you are reaching out to all of those channels and that you learn a lot about your prospects so you can talk about them and use their voice instead of talking about yourself. So, that's how I find Omni Channel Outreach is like reaching all the prospects everywhere and showcasing that you are a trusted advisor and that you are there to help.
0: Got it. So you mentioned like talking about them instead of talking about you and your product. Like, how do you coach your team on that? And like, what does that mean for you and your team?
1: Yeah, um, I think that's the backbone is like teaching your BDRs how to be absolute experts of your ideal customer profile and your personas. So we do a lot of specific enablement sessions. I work really closely with our marketing team and our account executives to pull calls that we can listen to together to make sure that we have... Um, we have packaged up like the in the ideal customer profile and persona guides in a way that it is actually like in their voice, not Alita's voice, because we want to encourage them to understand the prospect because in Outbound, it's really not about you. You have not earned the right to talk about yourself. I actually banned them from using I, we or Alita in any of their messaging um, because we really do need to do that. But it does take effort and practice and allowing them to practice that and making sure that you actually make that into onboarding and then everboarding going forward.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool, I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing we've done at Cognizant uh, on that theme is uh, meet the persona days. So we bring in, we have sort of three high level ICPs. We bring in one of them and do a little fireside chat with them, learn about their day-to-day, what keeps them up at mm-hmm. night, pains, like how do we sell to them? Um, yeah. And it's just really enlightening for the team.
1: Yeah, everyone learns in a different way as well, right? So I always try to make enablement sessions interesting and interactive. I'm not just like, here's a deck, figure it out. Um, I do try to make it fun for my team and give them opportunities to also share themselves, what they've learned, because it shouldn't just be me talking all the time or marketing. There's some amazing people in mind that we have in their experiences. So I also try to use the people on my team to help kind of inspire others with that as well.
0: Yeah, love that. So the other thing you mentioned was social selling. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me more about that. Like, how are you structuring social selling? Um, and specifically, I think it's a trend for enterprise. So, like, yes. how do you think about that in that context?
1: Yeah. So here at Alita, we had a little bit of um, domain reputation damage. So we were seeing some email deliverability issues that you know I was able to spot right away when I came in. So we can fix it, but it's not like a click fix, right? It it does take time. So social selling is a great way to show one that you're a human being, show your personality. Um, I also think for, for BDRs and even AEs starting out, it's great to start to learn to build your brand because it will just help you like as a person, people like to buy and talk to people that they like. Um, it will also help you in your career growth if people can see kind of who you are and your personality. And I think that just makes people more authentic in their conversation. So I do want, I don't want everyone to be like this cookie-cutter mold. Um, so social selling is a great way for them to start to unlock that and feel a little more comfortable talking about themselves. And the way that you interact in social selling is supposed to be less formal. So it gives them the opportunity to interact in a couple different ways. So it's like with our social selling strategy here as well, um, first off, we wanna use Sales Navigator to see who's even on LinkedIn because we don't wanna waste our time on people who don't use the platform. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, every time we get a connection request accepted, we stop what we're doing, we use the LinkedIn app video platform and we send a quick message just saying hello. And you'd be amazed how many people are just so delighted by that and it's such a human thing we're not asking for anything it's just reminding everyone that linkedin is a social selling platform but it's a social platform first so if you're going to ask someone to join your network don't pitch slap them in the face <laughs> the second they accept so there's allowing them to be a person and be a human and just generally want to connect with people and getting them more comfortable with not being formal and we see most of our attraction across the bdrs and the aes this quarter has been from this tactic of simply starting with a hello it's amazing how many meetings we've got off of being people right
0: interesting yeah amazing what that
1: would do <laughs> yeah
0: i know right
1: crazy concept be a nice person
0: <laughs> yeah i probably very unintuitive for a lot of salespeople to just say hello and not pitch or not ask for anything in return mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well, it's really easy. Like, I noticed that when I started at Alita, they talked everybody a lot about Alita and about our prospects, and they could send off, they could memorize a pitch and say it, but it wasn't relatable to the actual prospect. It was the same for everyone. So that's where I came in and said, no, 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 we've got to really teach them about, it doesn't matter about the product at this point, it just matters What's the challenge and pain that our prospects have? How do we solve them and what is the impact? That's what they, the core that they need to understand because if they really understand that, their confidence will go up, the tone in their voice will, will be confident. They're gonna know what they're gonna say. They're not gonna write these long emails with all this stuff. They can be very concise, make it really easy for people to see what is it that they can do for me? And yes, this is something I would wanna learn more about, right? All of them are tied together in my mind.
0: Yep, totally. So I love that example with just sending a video, saying hi, nothing else. Are there any other ways that you're leveraging uh, video on your team?
1: Yeah, I'm a huge fan of video. I personally um, used video a lot as an AE throughout my entire sales cycle. So it's something I really believe in. But it's amazing how many people say it doesn't work because they try one, so I think it's the video, it's setting the expectation. You can't just do one. Um, it's being strategic. I don't think sending a video to every single person that's personalized makes any sense. It's not scalable. So like for a video being effective is just understanding what a good video looks like and the way that you, you kind of set up your video, what you say and how you say it, like Most people would want to start a video saying, hi, my name is Amanda, I'm writing for Melita. But unfortunately, that's probably all they're going to hear because then you're a salesperson. So it's like allowing them to flip the script and lead with the pain. Like I'm sending you this video because of this and then get them interested. And then they already know your name. They can see it in the email. You're sending them a video like don't even bother. So disrupt the pattern a little bit to stand out. And we also leverage video with our case studies or within um, an invite to an event, perhaps that we're trying to drive registrations for. We usually start with text because we don't want to send a link in the first email. But usually by email three, if we've had some engagement, we'll be able to send out a kind of relevant personalized video. But it can it's a one to many. And also, I think with our team. We will also reuse our content. So if we sent a really great email, we're gonna not assume if they haven't responded, they likely haven't seen it. So we're gonna reuse all that great work and put it in a different way and put that in a video format and that's worked really well. Yeah. Right now, we're actually starting to look at our um, our prime golden contacts and see who we can do really creative videos, perhaps on TikTok or if we have some people on Instagram. So we're trying to figure out or even some vid yards with like something playful. So that's the next thing to watch out for.
0: Cool. I love that. It's like social selling outside of LinkedIn. Yeah. (laughs) Very cool. Um, So speaking of writing emails, so Devin Reed came on the podcast a few weeks ago and he talked about the importance of sales reps being skilled at copywriting. Yeah. Uh, What's your take on that and how do you train your team? Oh my gosh. Um,
1: Some of this, uh, my copywriting skills, I learned um, from Florin at Barley. Um, He's also another person I would recommend following for any kind of copywriting, but I think it's really important because the way that people consume text has changed. So traditionally, you would have written very long type basho type emails with all of this information. And I also think that as a newer person to sales, you want to tell them all about all the things you can do, like I can do all of these things, but you're actually making it look like work because it's too long. People are reading this on their mobile most of the time because everyone's in Zoom calls. So it's recognizing just the change in how people consume text um, you have to make it super straight to the point, no real fluff. And that's harder to do than than anyone realizes when you try to start. When I like, most people, it's easy to write an email with lots and lots of things. It's really hard to like condense it. So copywriting skills and understanding what's actually working against you and how to make sure you're making it as easy as possible for the prospect to see quickly what do you want that you have some proof in solving that challenge, and that it's something worth getting on a call for. So yeah, I teach my team it all the time, um, and we're constantly looking at it, and it makes such a huge difference.
0: Totally. Um, cool. So switching gears a little bit, um, I know one thing you've talked about is using data uh, to coach your team. Um, can you expand on this a little bit more? Like, What data points are you looking at? Are there any like specific tools that you love using? Yeah,
1: we use um, Sales Loft right now. So that's like the first point. And that's how I diagnosed really quickly that we had a deliverability problem here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we look at our traditional open rates and reply rates. And I would say some people say those are vanity metrics. And I respectfully disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, they are metrics that you need to know because if, if something isn't being delivered, there could be many reasons on why. It could be it's not interesting, it could be for the wrong person, it could be Many, many reasons, right? But you need to diagnose which one. So I'm a big fan of A/B testing. Literally everything. Um, I don't. I always want to change one thing to see because things are always changing in outbound. So you have to A/B test. So I think teaching the BDRs to know those metrics and look at them and then diagnose things themselves. Um, that's a really important one for them to know. Like it's not sending more of the same email that's not working. Right? Like, look, and sometimes it's you. So like, like, look at what are you saying? Who are you saying it to? And that's where that like teaching them the ideal customer and profiles and that copywriting gives like you as a manager and coachable skills that you can draw to. And then you can show them those wins along the way. The other tool that I've used in every role I've been in since I've been a leader is called Atrium. That is like pulls all of the data from Salesforce, everything from sales law, from Gmail, and actually gives you a holistic view of how your entire team is performing. It can help you with identifying what was your ramp for the last BDRs you've you've onboarded. If you want, where is it? And who's the top performer? Because sometimes they don't know. They don't even know what they're doing. You can actually isolate all of the metrics with that. That has been probably the best tool for, like, coaching my team and then showing them all the wins along the way before the meetings start happening and before the qualified opportunities, before the closed one, because, you know, there is a lot of wins, but if you can't see them and you don't show that to them, outbound, especially in large enterprise, can feel like a black hole. Like, they're doing so much work, like, when is this going to happen? It's like you can actually say, look, it is happening. Like, look at all these amazing metrics. Like, your off to efficiency ratio is, like, the best on the team. Your email engagement rate is going up. So, like, encouraging them to keep going along the way and coaching them, I think I could possibly get that information without Atrium, but Atrium gives it to me like this, and then I can just show it to them, and they're like, and it just makes like this, that's the, like the mental health like protection piece is like showing them those data points, not just me communicating upwards, it's also important for me to communicate to my team so that they understand it. Because it really does protect you when you know that there's things happening along the way and that you can see it and
0: then you just keep going. Yeah, I love that it's like, just like improving every single metric. Yeah, or yeah,
1: something. absolutely. Um,
0: Cool, Um, the other thing I know you mentioned was uh, BDRs coaching and mentoring one another, uh, which I love that concept. Uh, Can you expand a little bit on that? Like how have you implemented that on your team?
1: Yeah, I think just knowing your team and staying really close to them, you start to understand what makes them shine and I, it makes me think back to when I was at Partner Stack and a leader saw those leadership qualities in me that I didn't necessarily see. It took someone else to bring that out. And I always like to carry that feeling forward because that felt amazing. And it was—it led me to like my dream job that I didn't even know I wanted or didn't even know was in the cards for me. So I do try to carry that on in my BDRs. And I think it's more impactful for both the individual that is sharing These um, sharing the things that that they're really well, they do really well at. But I also think it's more impactful for other BDRs to see, wow, look at this person, like they've owned this piece. Like, what can I own? And then I think it encourages people to try and to have a collaborative culture. And that's really important for me as a team, because this can be a hard, lonely job. I don't feel like we were meant to do cold calls in our bedroom as BDRs working remotely. Um, So I think it's important to make sure people feel valued, that they feel like they can present, even given the opportunity to learn how to present, right? A lot of people might not seek that out, but if they have someone like helping them and making that available to them and making it more um, not as scary, I think that's a great skill for people to learn um, as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, And how do you keep, like, that whole, like, you know, it can be a very lonely job, it can be very monotonous. Like, I think rewards and just like recognition uh, is important, right? So what are some ways that you like to reward your team that might not be like, here's a gift card, here's a $50 gift card, whoever makes most dials gets a gift card. Like, um, do you have any more like creative ways?
1: Yeah, I think one of the ones I'm most proud of since starting at Alita is just recognizing our values as a company, and then also the values that my team uh, really responds to. So like that collaboration, and we have one that we call the dark horse. So maybe it's somebody that doesn't you know, sing from the rooftop that they're doing all these things, but it's something that other people see or comment on that maybe wouldn't be wildly known. Maybe they're not that person to, to shout out every single thing they've done. So I think bringing up people like that and showcasing them. So we do this quarterly, so we have awards, for our values and just for our specific team values. But then what we've also done is because we're a survey company, we use our own tool and we survey all of the adjacent uh, business units and we have them vote on some different qualities for BDRs as well. And to just comment on, you know, what was a way that they were impactful to you? something they did that surprised you? Did you learn something? And then taking those quotes and actually putting them together and sharing those out um, to the wider team. And then I communicate those also upwards a lot. So we do have a lot of recognition that comes from our executive team as well to make sure that they come in and talk to them and they know all of the wins that they've had. So I think it's creating a culture where if someone isn't comfortable sharing themselves out, you learn how do they like to receive recognition and then you kind of fold that in and figure out other ways. I think that is way more motivational than just a gift card, Mm -hmm.
0: right? Totally agree. Any other ways that you keep your uh, your team sort of motivated and, and driven, especially in this current climate, um, that yeah. can be you know very very hard. It feels like sometimes running through molasses. It uh, does. It does. I think we like to
1: keep like I think allowing them to bring in their authentic self is one easy way to do that because it doesn't feel like they're trying to like be somebody else. And there's something freeing in that when you're in sales. I know for me, when I figured to do this job my own way and to be me and to talk like me and to use my personality, that's when everything changed for me. So I like to make sure that I give them opportunities and get to know them enough to show, to try to pull that out of them and give them permission to do that. So I think that's one thing. The second one, I think, is making time for some fun, just fun. So we played Jenga in the office last week, and it was so fun. It was an hour, and we just laughed, Um, we play little games here and there, either if it's online or not, we create a lot of like, again, our enablement sessions are fun. We do what we call webinar Wednesday, where we have a team lead that picks a webinar and we all just turn our cameras off and watch it. And then we discuss it afterwards. Um, it's, it's lots of fun where they're not asked to do anything, um, then just show up and they're just a great group of people. So I think just being creative and fun and not you know, making those moments for for learning together, but also moments where we're not learning anything or just people, um, and I think that's important as well.
0: Yeah, I love that, and I think sometimes when you're if you're behind on your number, it's like not very intuitive for a sales leader to be like, oh, let's take an hour off the phones and do something completely non-work related, right? Uh, but it goes such a long way because like at the end of the day, like sales is a transfer of excitement or enthusiasm, and no one's gonna buy from a miserable sales rep. Um,
1: Yeah, or how impactful, how is their tone of voice? How are they gonna show up? How are they gonna feel, right? Because I feel like um, we have to be as leaders, I think even now, like with being a lot more remote, we have to be more purposeful with like teaching BDRs how to survive in a sales role, if that's what they want to be, Um, because it's not easy, right? And making sure they, they have that information of like, how do I protect myself? How do I see these wins? How do I make sure that I am being me? And why does that matter? Um, because i think it's important as you grow in your your career because it only gets harder right like especially in sales i'm sure i don't need to tell you that
0: oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) the motivational quote of the day it only gets harder (laughs) yeah but it can also
1: get like better right i think it's like the more experience you have you're like Things, I think that's what I love about sales is that it's never done and it's always changing and it keeps me fresh and I find it exciting. But like if you don't find your way of doing it or your way of like tackling that in your mind, like owning a quota is hard. Like for me personally, giving up my individual quota and giving it over to a team That took a lot for me to kind of shift my mindset. How do I do that? So it's like I think with a lot of new BDRs, you have to think of the same thing. It's like your OT is one thing, but like how are you going to get to that point where it's achievable and how are you going to teach them all those skills to keep growing in a sales role in like as healthy a way as possible?
0: Yeah, I love that. Um, All right, so to to finish up, uh, what is an advice that you have Uh, on what sales leaders should start, stop or continue doing for the remainder of 2023?
1: Yeah, I think sales leaders should start um, talking about mental health and be more transparent um, on teams and making sure there's a component of that of teaching people how to manage the work-life balance and how important that is like as you continue in a career. Nobody taught me that, being in sales for about 10 years now. I wish I had learned it earlier and it was something. So that's why I bring that. So I think that's something they should start doing. Um, I think something we should stop doing is just recording is like only rewarding quota attainment. I think we should definitely like stop just doing that and add in those culture and add in those values that you want to see from your team so that When people join it's not just values that are on a screen they can live it and feel it and you have a really good culture and that will help you minimize the storm if you do have you know kind of bumps in the road which you will right when you have that strong culture that will help you but if you're only rewarding top performers with gift cards because they hit quota you're actually demotivating a lot of the rest of your team that maybe just a little bit of like celebration of the effort they're making even if they're not there yet Would might be the thing to get them there, so that would be something. And continue doing, I think just continuing to make sure that you have a good environment for people to learn, whether they're in the office or not. Check-ins, making sure that you're celebrating again, all of those wins that BDRs maybe can't see because they do so much work and when nothing comes back for days and days, it can feel a little dark. So I think as leaders, we need to make sure that we we continue to encourage them and teach them skills that will be transferable as they grow their career.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for that. And thanks for coming to the podcast, Amanda. It was great having you.
1: Thank you, Frida. I enjoyed it. Thank you.